Hey folks, I just wanted to stop in before we roll into this week's episode and give you a little bit of a trigger warning. This week we're going to be discussing self-harm as well as suicide. So if that is something that you are sensitive to, I definitely would skip this episode. Regardless, thank you so much for listening and for your continued support. Um, because of that support, we're able to share stories like the one that we are going to share today. So with that, we are just going to roll right into this week's episode. Thank you again. Hey, my name's Emma. Hey, my name's Maddie. And you're listening to The Pilot's Pandemic. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how get 30, how get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey y'all, welcome back to this week's episode of the Pilots Pandemic Podcast. You're here with your host, Emma, and our lovely co-host, Maddie. Hey guys, how's it going? Hello. This, yeah, so this week we are joined by a guest, um, John Dvorak. Am, did I remember correctly? <laughs> yes, that's that's correct. Uh-huh. Very good. Yeah, so if you just want to give yourself a little bit of an introduction, John. Well, um, I um, I uh, am a, a pilot. Uh, on med- uh, technically, on medical uh, for a major uh, U.S. airline, um, and I'm uh, just about to turn 64, and uh, been um, in aviation for my entire life. I started out um, uh, going to a university uh, program uh, for aviation. Uh, got most of my ratings there and uh, then went on to the flight instructor uh, era um, and camp, uh, you know, the fueling airplanes uh, in degreasing bellies and things like that, uh, de-icing. Um, also, as a, as a, uh, a CSA, I got a job um, with a, a commuter airline. Um, uh, and I uh, actually worked uh, on the ramp there and um, uh, at the ticket counter and in the air freight uh, section. And uh, so I, I, I've done a lot of different jobs at the beginning of my career. Um, so I'm familiar with with what goes on uh, all around the uh, operation. Um, and then um, I actually got a, a flying job with with that same commuter airline and uh, uh Ended up uh, staying there five and a half years and upgraded to uh, captain on a um, FH-227, which is uh, uh, an older airplane that there's none of them flying anymore. It's a high wing um, turboprop, about 48 passengers. And uh, that company uh, ended up being uh, bought um, and uh, ended up with Continental Express in Cleveland. Um, And then... uh, 
stayed there for a bit flying the Brasilia and then uh, went to um, Midway Airlines, which is, uh, uh, was a, um, uh, a jet carrier out of Chicago Midway Airport uh, back in the, um, in the 80s and 90s. And uh, uh, they, um, they actually went out of uh, business in 91. Um, and, uh, and then I was off uh, flying for about a year and a half. I uh, went back and finished my, uh, my degree and then got picked up by uh, by another uh, by 737 carrier and um, uh, and uh, stayed there. Um, I've been there ever since. So that's that's kind of it in a nutshell, right there. So awesome. Yeah. So quite the background in aviation, flying for for many years. And just for our audience, how we got connected with John is through our friend Jamie Drain, who was on our podcast a while back, I think a few months back. Um, but she connected us with John because you had been friends with her husband, James. So thank you, Jamie, for helping us connect with you, John. Um, and then one of the first questions I asked, I know you had kind of went over all of your aviation career, but who was the person or thing that really ignited your passion in aviation? Oh uh, yeah, I, that that uh, is from an early early age. Um, I grew up in the um, Chicago area and uh, uh, happened to live under the approach path uh, for O'Hare, and um, I uh, was noticing airplanes uh, every thirty seconds go over my my house, and uh, I just was fascinated by um, the size of them and the noise they made and. Uh, and then my dad bought a, a, a plastic model of a Pan Am 707. Um, and so uh, he helped me put that together. And, um, and he, then he took me on a business trip with him. Uh, I think it was to Detroit, uh, my first airplane ride. Um, and uh, I got to see the cockpit and um, I, I, it just kind of... Um, grew on me and uh that's uh that's what i always uh, wanted to do um so yeah it happened at an early age mm -hmm. seems like how it goes for a lot of folks that we speak to it's always something that's like starts from a very young age you have that interest but what was it like being an airline pilot in the early 2000s and what were some of the stressors that you dealt with that you didn't think about before becoming an airline pilot uh, well, the big one, uh, early 2000s, had to had to be 9/11, um, um, the um, all, and all the security uh, mandates and uh, procedures that came after that. Uh, um, when I started in this career, uh, flight crew didn't even have to go through security. I mean, there there was minimal security for passengers, and people could could you know go down to the gate and and um, see off. Uh, there were friends and relatives, and then that changed. But uh, but flight crew was still able to just you know walk through the exit and uh, go to the airplane. Um, and so after 9/11, um, that all changed. Uh, you know, with the um, having to uh, to you know to uh, go through security ourselves, and um, um, and, and things were things were changing literally daily. I mean, you'd get a new, a new, um, 
you know, we, we call them read before flies or, you know, no, notices um, that, uh, you know, something had, had changed. So that, uh, that was um, a huge uh, thing that I certainly didn't anticipate um, when uh, I got into the, uh, to the business, you know, uh, um, I was married at the time and um, my wife, uh, she was a flight attendant uh, as well for another airline. Um, I came home from a trip after 9-11 and uh, her supervisor was in our living room talking with her. I mean, that, that was, um, it really hit my wife hard because she knew a couple of the flight attendants on the, uh, the uh, um, American plane that went into the uh, World Trade Center. So it, she really took that hard and it was hard to see her um, uh, you know, in, in, that, in that stressful situation. But uh, um, she took a little bit of time off after that. And uh, when, when flying did resume, um, I had a trip. Uh, the, first, the first day flying resumed, I think it was on a Friday. And um, it was just surreal uh, going to, to the airport. And uh, um, I remember that one day, that, that first day, there was a security breach. Uh, so everyone had to exit again and go back through. And it was just chaotic. And the first leg I did uh, had zero passengers on it. Um, mm. And uh, the next leg, uh, I think it was to, from St. Louis to Cleveland. I think we made a, might have had two or three people on that flight. And then... Uh, um, and so it was, it was, uh, you know, uh, a time that was very, you know, um, we weren't really sure what was going to happen, you know, with the country, not just the airline, but, but the co whole country itself, you know, what was going to happen. And I remember um, on that trip, uh, taking off out of Albany, heading south towards, uh, I think it was somewhere in Florida. And um, I, you could still see the, uh, the smoke from the twin towers um, uh, coming up uh, off uh, uh, from Manhattan there. So yeah, that was uh, it was just a time of uncertainty. Uh, in, yeah, in the industry. Yeah, mm -hmm. it seems a lot like when you talk about nine eleven because I think I was about in third grade when nine eleven happened. They're <laughs> really dating myself, mm -hmm. uh, but it just seems very similar or reminiscent of COVID times, like with the mm -hmm. unknowing, the not knowing if you are even going to fly again and, and being furloughed. And um, and obviously we've seen uh, 180 with the system and the industry turning back around. And it is a lot like 9-11 in that way, but it, it also reminds me of Emma's dad because he was working at that time and she had said that he had uh, put in some zip ties into his hat. And it was like, you don't think about that now because of how solid security is for the most part. But back mm -hmm. then, I'm sure there was that, um, that thought in the, in the back of your mind, like, Oh, like there could be a hijacker on this plane, um, which is insane to me to even have to think about. So uh, yeah. thank you. Thank you for right. sharing. Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, we 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 didn't um, back then. There were you know we didn't have the secure doors yet, um, and mm -hmm. so things were still uh, it was still a porous environment. And uh, you know there were there were armed U.S. soldiers in in our, our domestic airports. You know, with uh, in full battle gear. It was um, that was uh, something you know that we we you know normally wouldn't see. And um, but. Uh, 
Yeah. It's definitely a stressful or situational stressor, as I like to call them. Mm -hmm. Um, But I know that you had other triggering stressful events in your life um, that we had spoken about in our previous phone call. Um, And one of those had triggered you into kind of like a depression, um, which was your divorce. And I kind of wanted you to share with us what that was like and how that affected you and the mindset it might've spiraled you into. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, I mean, even going back further, I think the seeds, seeds for depression may have been planted, you know, at an early age, uh, uh, you know, growing up, um, you know, our family, you know, we weren't, we weren't rich and there were, there were financial struggles. And, uh, um, I had, um, my father was absent, um, from, from about age 10. And, uh, so I, I think there was, there was, um, just a lot of stressors surrounding that, that, uh, um, um, that can help contribute to, to later on in, in life. Um, uh, I was, I was married, um, for, um, it was about 20 years when things, uh, started to, um, to unravel. Um, and, um, I, you know, we, when we, when we get married, there's no, there's no manual for that. Um, so we're kind of winging it based on, on our, um, what, what we've, what we've observed, uh, you know, we, you know, whatever our role model were for that. And uh, sometimes that's, that isn't always, uh, you know, a healthy, um, a healthy thing. Um, so I, uh, I, 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 we didn't have kids and I, I think, you know, we're this, it was hard to, um, to keep this, the spark going. Um, and, you know, I, I dealt with, with perfectionism, um, and that's, uh, um, and it wasn't always fair to her. And, uh, and I started to wonder whether I wanted, wanted to be married. Um, I struggled with that, um, my own personal battles, um, with that. And, uh, um, and I'm, I'm not trying to put place blame on, on my parents or, or my, my wife, but, uh, it, it, the, whatever happens does have an effect on, uh, on you. And, um, um, and I, I, I also lost three friends, uh, in rapid succession, um, you know, two to cancer and one, uh, in a tragic drowning accident. And, uh, um, and, and I allowed myself, uh, to, to get involved in, um, some emotional affairs, uh, you know, trying to find, you know, what I thought was happiness, even though I, it was probably, it was right there within my marriage if I was smart enough to see it. But, uh, um, I, uh, it, it did lead to a separation. Um, and, um, and I was, I was feeling, you know, because I was, my mind was other places as well. Uh, I, I was feeling burned out, um, uh, with, with, with life. I, I, um, I, uh, ended up being diagnosed with sleep apnea, which I still treat with a, uh, CPAP machine. And, uh, so I was, I was tired a lot. Um, and that, uh, uh, led to irritability and, um, and just an all around a bad situation in the marriage. And, uh, we ended up uh, separating, um, and then I, you know, I, I, uh, I, 
found out, you know, found some things, uh, you know, that, uh, that concerned me. And, um, I, I just, uh, I wanted to put the marriage back together. Um, but, uh, it was, uh, it was too late for that. Uh, sh she had met somebody and, and, um, and that, that, this, that really hit me very hard. Um, and uh, I remember it was like a, um, like a switch went off inside of me when, uh, uh, when I, you know, it, it just, it, it changed my whole, um, uh, outlook. Um, and, uh, uh, I just felt, uh, overwhelmed and, um, um, so I, I, I just, uh, it, it went, I, I started to go into a, a dark place and um, was starting to lose hope. Um, mm. And uh, I should I should back up a bit. I I had already taken myself off the line, so I was uh, already uh, you know seeing a therapist and a, a doctor for the depression. So um, so in that environment, uh, the there's not a whole lot of um, I shouldn't say, I mean, there isn't, they, they, they treat airlines and I, I can speak for mine, but I don't know about the others, but, uh, they don't, they don't treat it as a, um, as a, a, a disease per se. They, 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 uh, they separate it out into something different. Uh, it's not like if, if a guy has a heart attack, um, you know, he doesn't lose, um, his uh, disability payments. Um, but when you, um, when you are out on a mental, what they call a mental illness, uh, case, um, they put a time limit on how, how quickly you can, uh, should become that you should become coming back to work and, and, uh, and they remove, they remove all your benefits, uh, e even for other medical conditions, they, they take away, uh, your travel benefits, they take away your insurance, um, uh, uh, so, so there's, mm -hmm. you're virtually left with, with nothing, um, yeah. other than your seniority number. Um, and in my case, I didn't even have, uh, you know, the disability payments only last for, um, uh, for 18 months and then they, they take that away. Uh, so, um, so that, that just adds additional stressors to, to everything. And, and you start to lose, um, you start to lose, you feel alone and you start to lose hope. Um, you feel abandoned by, by the company. Um, um, and uh, uh, I should say also that, you know, uh, well, I'll get to that, that later, but uh, um, you, you feel like you don't measure up anymore. You feel less than um, and def defective, uh, if you will. Um, and you start to withdraw. At least I, in my case, I withdrew. I didn't. Uh, I didn't know where to turn anymore uh, for um, for any help. Uh, who, who to call? Um, so. Um, yeah, uh, I can imagine it's also difficult because for I know for a lot of aviators that flying is, you know, it's an identity, but it's also for a lot of folks, it's it's a passion and it's a lot of times the one place that they feel really whole and happy. Um, 
I know for some people also, it can be an additional stressor, but I can imagine that adds just another compounding level, but I can definitely resonate with that. Watching my dad go through everything that he went through, which was for heart health issues. But a lot of those similar feelings, um, I think came with his experience as well, but can you share with us, um, if you, if you feel comfortable doing so, could you share with us and our audience where that dark place took you? Yeah, I, uh, it, uh, it got me thinking that, uh, that there was, I, I didn't know what the future would hold. I, there was a, a, a feeling of, uh, a fear of the unknown, um, knowing that, um, I was losing my marriage and because of that, we were going to have to, uh, sell the house and uh, knowing that I was, you know, losing my, my met that I've lost, you know, my medical, um, my ability to, you know, to, to have an income with flying. And um, so I, I started to, to, to feel like there was, um, there was, there was, that there was no way out. And so I, that's when I, started to uh, consider uh, that maybe it'd be better if I just wasn't here anymore. And so I, I, um, I, uh, I thought about taking my life and, uh, and actually um, did make an attempt. Um, and um, uh, I don't know if you want to get me to get into the, the details of what happened, what I did, but, uh, but yeah, I, I had, uh, an attempt. I took an attempt on my life, but I survived. It was, um, it was actually, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest. It was, uh, I, I used, um, the exhaust, uh, in the garage. Uh, um, but I woke up, I fell asleep, but I woke up and, um, and that, that, that was, you know, a couple of times that afternoon. And, and I think that there had to be somebody watching over me, um, because, um, you know, uh, everything I, you know, about that is, is a, it, it, it can kill you and it, and it didn't. Um, so I do believe that there was somebody, you know, watching over me that day. Um, but, uh, um, so then the, the next day I, um, uh, I got a, since the, uh, since the exhaust didn't, didn't work, I, uh, I got a knife and I, I, I walked out, you know, to, uh, down to a river bank and, um, sat there and, um, and then started to, to cut myself. And, um, but I, I, I couldn't bring myself to, you know, to make the, the real, uh, I don't know how to phrase it, but it, it hurt too much, but I wasn't, I was in such mental pain but the physical pain I, I just couldn't go through with it but I did I didn't I was bleeding and um uh I I, I at that point I I did reach out to to my to my brother and um and you know told him what what had happened and uh and then uh my sister and her husband came and found me and they they did take me to the hospital so that was my first uh, time in a um uh, in, in a hospital um and uh, um, they, 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 the hospital that I went, they went that I went to for the emergency room uh, didn't have any openings in their um, in their psych ward, so they 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 took me to a different place, um, and uh, which 
wasn't very nice. Um, um, and the, the facilities were kind of shabby. And there was, I, I you know, want to don't want to judge anybody, but I, I believe that there were people there that were in, in there for substance, severe substance abuse. And, and, and I, I didn't really feel safe there. Um, yeah. And uh, uh, so uh, I, um, I, I asked, I, you know, I asked to, to get out. And um, so they, they did let me out after three days uh, with the concurrence of my, uh, of my family. And, uh, and so I, uh, I went, I went back home. Um, by this time, uh, yeah, I, was, I mentioned that before we were separated. So I was going back to an empty house and uh, it was, it was a very, um, very cold place. Uh, I, uh, I ended up uh, starting to, to, uh, to not take care of, you know, activities of daily living. Uh, I would uh, get up in the morning and I would, uh, I would get on my bike and I would ride 18 miles without stopping. And, um, and then I would come home and pace, pace the, the whole house. You know, it was just unusual behavior um, up and down the second floor down into the basement. And, and it, it was just, it just wasn't, it wasn't a life. Um, my diet was poor. I lost a lot of weight. And, um, um, and so then a few months later, I, uh, I was just in a, still in a state of, of, um, of depression. Um, uh, and I, uh, I, I, I tried cutting myself again. And, and this time it was a little bit worse. Um, but, uh, obviously I, I survived, uh, which I'm thankful for and, um, um, ended up, uh, at a, uh, another facility, the same, the actual, the, the emergency room that I was at before they actually had room at that hospital this time. So I stayed there for about five days and, uh, um, a little bit nicer facility. Um, but it, again, um, they, it, it didn't really, uh, um, I, I don't, I don't really think I got better, uh, in, in either of those places. Um, it's very dehuman, dehumanizing. I'm sorry, go yeah. ahead. Oh, I was just going to ask John, because you said that a few times now, like your experience after your attempts and, um, believing in your story, like that this was the last attempt that you made. Right. So when you went to this, uh, this psych ward like what was so dehumanizing about it like what were the bad parts about it or why you didn't feel it really helped you in your recovery uh well i i think it's part partly just you're confined to a very small space um you you don't have a lot of there's there's your bedroom the hallway and uh, a common room if you will um and maybe a few workshop rooms and um, and and the, the the activities that they put you through are very almost I want to say childlike. Uh, some of the exercises that you do, you know, um, it's uh, there's there's not a lot of individual uh, interaction. Um, you're in there with other people. And they're very, they have varying levels of, 
of, of uh, depression or mental illness. Um, and uh, it's, it's hard to really, uh, to really see, you know, what they're trying to accomplish there. Uh, it's almost like you're just a caged animal. Um, mm. And, you know, you, you stay in there and when insurance says, you, you know, you, you're done, you, you, you get out. Uh, I, I just didn't really feel like that that, that was being helped much there um, until, and this is a segue into the last um, uh, visits. Uh, now, uh, later on that, that summer, uh, we were having, you know, getting ready to sell the house and um, there were things that, I, that we needed to be done. And uh, I still wasn't functioning, you know, at 100% or even probably even 50%. And um, um, my wife asked me to do something related to uh, selling the house. I believe it was a, a phone call or something. And, and I just couldn't, I couldn't bring myself to, to, to accomplish the task. And um, she kept calling back and asking if, um, if I had done it. And I, I said, no. And, uh, and I, I should say she was, even though we were getting a divorce, she was very um, helpful through, the, through my whole process of my hospital visits. Uh, she, 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 um, she was, she was there for me and um, uh, you know, she, she helped me out a lot. So, uh, but, so anyway, she called my uh, psychiatrist and uh, told her that I was, uh, that I just wasn't myself. And um so my psychiatrist uh, told her to and um, and check myself into a, a hospital that she recommended and, and, a, and a specific doctor that she wanted me to see, um, who was a, a I guess a, a, he was a very um, uh, well known or at least a, a psychopharmacologist I guess that's the term. Um, and and she she uh, wanted me to see him so so I did check myself uh, into um, that that last uh, facility which was very nice it was a much cleaner modern facility and, uh, and she 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 described it as people that were uh, a little functioning at a higher level than maybe some of the places I was at before and um, and I was there for eleven days. Um, and uh, again, I don't believe that the workshops or any of the, um, the activities were what got me better. I think uh, it was the combination of meds, I think, that they put me on um, that uh, eventually um, was able to, uh, to, to start changing my brain chemistry and, and getting me to think um, clearer. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Th that's what I was going to ask. Like what helped you turn your life around and gave you that different outlook? Was it anything besides medication or was that really the push that you needed to kind of turn, turn it all around? Uh, no, there was, uh, I, the medication, I, it's hard to quantify, you know, how, how that helped or if, if I'm sure it did, but it's hard to measure that. At least for me, I, I don't know. Uh, um, you know how, how how that affected me, but I, I'm I'm pretty sure it did in a positive way. But I think 
it was more internal for me. I think I, I, I knew I didn't ever want to go back to, I decided I never wanted to go see the inside of a psych ward again. And, um, um, I just, uh, I, I made a, a personal decision to, to change, to change my, uh, my outlook, um, and, uh, and, and try to really get better. Um, it, as we got closer, you know, to selling the house, um, I, I didn't know, you know, where I was going to go, but my family, um, decided that I shouldn't be living alone. So, uh, fortunately my, my brother, uh, took me in. So that took a stressor away that I, I was going to have a place to live. And, um, I, uh, I did receive one, uh, big disability payout, and uh, we made a little money on the house and um and then there was uh some money that we had in, in investments and savings that uh we cashed in and so I, that took some of the financial uh stressors off of me um so it allowed me to to just focus on myself and make the conscious decision that uh, i was going to get better from this i didn't know what that would look like, uh, but I just knew I wasn't going to go back into a, into a psych ward again. And um, um, so I spent a lot of time um, out in uh, nature. I would I would walk in in forest preserves and woods and listen to music with my headphones while I was walking or or even running at times. Um, and uh, and then I started traveling again. Uh, and um, so that 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 helped me get out in, into into society and and you know have some joy in my life. Um, so every every day there was I just added you know a little bit more activities and, and a little more joy and happiness, things that made me happy. And uh, I began to um, to reach out again to to my friends. I I really withdrew for the, that period of time, which is. Um, you know, it was one bad summer out of, out of all my years of living that, and, um, and, uh, that's, that's the thing that's really, um, I know we'll get into this later, but, uh, I had one bad summer of, of my entire life. And, uh, it, it's kind of, it, when, in the case of the FA, it's, it's, it's defined my whole existence. Um, but, uh, yeah. um, but yeah, I just, I, 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 it was more, more of an internal conscious choice to get, to get better. And, uh, um, so really no like one thing that had triggered you, but kind of like, I guess, like a mountain of things that happened that helped you move past mm -hmm. that dark summer that you had. Um, but I wanted to ask you another question because of like the events that occurred with the attempts on your life, your medical was revoked, but you were determined to try to get it back. Mm -hmm. You went through your union advisory um, and also utilized the Mayo Clinic services. So can you share with our audience what that was like for you? Like how much time it took, the money that you spent, and then the promise or kind of like imaginary promise, I guess, of you maybe getting your medical back and how that went for you? Well, I, um, I, 
it didn't do it in, immediately um, because I was I was still you know getting myself healthy. So about a year and a half, maybe two years after uh, that that the uh, that uh, dark summer, um, I, I wanted to uh, to tr try to get my medical back. So uh, the, our union um, contracts with a um, an aeromedical doctor. Uh, he, he's um, he, he's not a uh, he doesn't work for our union, but he he's contracted through our union to to help pilots that are on medical uh, uh, that are trying to get their medicals back uh, with the FA. So he's kind of like a liaison. Um, he, he advises you know pilots on what they need to do, the steps they need to take um, uh, as far as paperwork goes and things like that. So I did contact him and um, uh, he. Uh, recommended a, I see a forensic psychiatrist, uh, which I did at my own expense. Um, but uh, after um, he reviewed, I, I, I think I saw him two or three times, and uh, you know we got my um, my records, uh, medical records from from the FA in Oklahoma City, and in conjunction with the um, with the uh, aeromedical advisor. Uh, they, they, they felt that it was maybe too soon after, after my attempts to, to proceed with, um, with getting my medical back. So, uh, so, so I, again, I, I, I went back to, you know, just trying to get myself better and, um, uh, and fast forward to about 2019, I, uh, I, uh, decided I, you know, I'm going to make this, uh, this, this attempt to get my medical back, uh, and I knew it was a it was a daunting task because uh, my case was was very complex, and um, um, so uh, with the with the advice of um, of the aeromedical advisor, uh, he knew a doctor that was at the Mayo Clinic. The Mayo Clinic has an aerospace medicine um, department, and um, so I made contact with them and set up uh, an appointment to uh, to go through their um, uh, aerospace medical department uh, with the goal of of getting my uh, first class uh, medical back. And um, and I so I I visited the Mayo Clinic um, I think two or three times. Uh, so I, I incurred the expense. Uh, of uh, driving up there in hotels and um, um, and they uh, gave me a, you know a, a, some cognitive tests and uh, interviews with uh, doctors and uh, physicals uh, uh, psychiatrists uh, just the whole gamut of, of uh, things and um, and they they put together you know a package to send to the FAA. And um, uh, we sent that off, and uh, um, and they said, you know, that, that the FA has these panels of, of people that review cases like this that, that might take a few months. But uh, the re the rejection letter came fairly quickly. Um, uh, uh, it was, I was actually surprised how fast it came, but uh, so I. I 
and it was a final determination that I wasn't eligible to hold a, a first class medical um, or even a um, second or third class medical. Uh, so uh, I felt uh, I felt pretty defeated, but at least I had uh, tried uh, everything I could to, um, in, to, in my own mind, you know, satisfy myself that I, I had uh, done everything I could to try to get my medical back. So, um, yeah, I think uh, one of the interesting parts that you had mentioned to me in our previous phone call is that, well, one being that um, no one ever told you that you wouldn't get your medical back, um, which is surprising to me because um, they say that clearly, usually now, at least if you have a suicide attempt, they typically say that you're not allowed to get your medical back, um, but also with all the medications um, as well that you had explained um which we didn't really go over today, but that's okay. But just, you know, the, no one pointing out like, oh, these medications are disqualifying. Um, and I think. Right. Right. Yeah. No, nobody tells you that at the beginning, yeah. these are certain medications that you can't take. Um, uh, and, and, you know, part of that is the medical community is, is not well-versed in aviation matters, uh, mm -hmm. except if you're in aerospace medicine, but, you know, a regular psychiatrist or medical doctor doesn't really know that these restrictions exist. And, um, um, and so uh, I know there are four antidepressants that are now approved that pilots can take, you know, while they're flying. Um, but I need, I needed more than that, uh, obviously. And um, so another rule that the FAA has is that uh, they, a red flag for them is if you're treated by more than one psychotropic drug concurrently. So uh, when I came out of the hospital the last time, I was on five different medications. Um, and so that's a red flag for them, which I didn't know going in. But the thing is, is that that's what the doctor determined would help me. So I don't understand the FAA's thinking as to why they would restrict, you know, the use of medications if it's gonna help you. Um, and, you know, right now I'm not any, on any medications. I've gotten, uh, I, with the help of my, uh, my doctor, I, I have gotten myself off of all medications. Um, so the FAA has some, some pretty uh, strict, and I'm, I'm not sure I understand their thinking, you know, why they restrict um, a medication that's going to help, help you get better. Um, that's, that's baffling to me. Um, yeah, that's no, we totally agree with you on that. Um, that's our, our thinking too, is like, well, if your doctor says this is going to help you, then why is the FAA has a whole different thought process on those things? Um, and it, in, in reality for me, I feel as if the FAA is just, you know, that regulatory body, they're not really there for your wellness. They're there just for rulemaking. Um, and, and right now those rules don't really you know, meet the eye. They don't make sense. So mm -hmm. you're not seen as an individual in the eyes of the FAA. You're, you're, you're just seen as a case and they, they kind of just lump them all together. I think, um, even mm. though they say they don't, but, uh, I mean, I was willing to, to be a test case. I was willing to be monitored. Um, I, I, I would, you know, the one thing you don't get to do is talk to anybody in the FAA. Um, you are, uh, you're kind of there's a barrier there. I mean, I would really, I would, I would have 
gladly gone to Oklahoma City myself and met with their doctors um, just so, you know, they could see me as a person. Um, my doc, my own personal doctor, whatever she wrote on her notes, uh, you know, she, she cleared me uh, in her eyes. I mean, she's not an, uh, versed in aviation matters, but in her eyes as a, as a person, I, I was well enough that, that, that she was going to write that, that I was, um, um, uh, you know, fine. Uh, but, but her, her, the thing with the FAA is your, your own doctor's uh, reports don't even matter to them. Um, they, 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 they do their own thing. You know, even though you send them all, all the information, um, it, it doesn't weigh with them. And that's, that has to change. I think, um, yeah. that they make that one determination, uh, on their own without really, I don't believe they, they take the time to, to, uh, you know, to, to, uh, look at that, look at each individual person, um, and then what their doctor has said. So, it's definitely super frustrating. And we hear that from literally every single one of our guests um, who's gone down the SI pathway. They they all say that. Um, and it's just, I don't know, um, very frustrating. And I every single time we come upon this subject, I wish I had a better thing to say, but there is really no other word besides frustrating and just inadequate, um, archaic. It's just... Mm -hmm. I could go on, but, um, yeah. what was the most difficult part of knowing that you weren't ever going to be able to fly again? Um, well, I think, you know, one, we, we identify, like we talked earlier, we uh, tend to identify ourselves with our jobs sometimes. And, uh, and so, so having to, um, to try to look at myself as uh, just a, a person that, you know, I, I, that's what I did for a living, but, it, but being a pilot didn't define me. Um, so I had, to, I had to accept the fact that, that the decision that, you know, the FAA handed down was, was that's what I had to work with. And um, so, um, you know, I, I wasn't able, I had to come to terms with not being able to do what I was trained for um, not, uh, you know, I, I, I knew I, I missed seeing people that I, you know, worked, worked with and, and seeing friends, uh, at work, you know, um, you know, sometimes you'll, you'll be, you know, walking down the terminal and you might see somebody that you haven't seen for five or six years, you know, and you, you catch up just like it was yesterday. And then you might not see them again for a couple of years, but so I, I just missed the, the camaraderie of, of, um, being part of, of the, um, of the, uh, a bigger group. Um, and, um, so that, that, that's probably the hardest thing, but, uh, um, one of the things that, I, that helped me though, was I was never a big social media person, but, um, I did get on Facebook. Finally, I, I had, a, um, uh, through my gym, I had an eating challenge. And one of the things we had to do was post pictures of our meals. So it, it kind of forced me to, to join Facebook. And, um, and then when I did, I, you know, people started coming out of the woodwork, uh, people that I hadn't uh, heard from in years or uh, 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 it, it, so, so in that respect, Facebook has, uh, social media has allowed me to reconnect 
with people and actually meet some brand, some new new people, uh, new friends, and uh, um, and so I've I've been able to uh, to maintain a a social life through that, and also just by by doing activities with people, putting myself out there, and, and being um, um, you know active. Uh, and I, I've, you know, that, that helped me develop um, a huge, you know, support network, which um, I, I, I didn't have before. And so I know that there's people, you know, if ever, if ever I needed help, there are people I can call uh, at any time and they'll be there for me. And, um, um, but, uh, yeah. You can definitely get on board with the social media aspects and that's how Emma and I met. And then we met Jamie Drain through social media as well. So we've, we're all kind of connected through uh, the social networks, which is awesome. Um, but I had another question for you because I know this has kind of been like a big roller coaster of life that you've been on and you started in a really dark place and now you're back, you're back on the other side. You've kind of done like a 180 from where you were. Um, so does it kind of seem unreal or like a dream that you were in a totally different place 10 years ago? And the second part of that question is this one of our listeners is struggling has found themselves in a similar sh- situation. Um, what would you tell them? Uh, so the first question, yes, I, uh, it, it is surreal. I, uh, I never thought that I would be in a situation like that. Um, I, uh, I, I, to, honestly, I, I thought at one time that, you know, people that tried to commit suicide were taking the, um, the easy way out it was a you know, coward's way and but now having been there i mean i i see that it takes i mean it it, it really changes uh something's going on in your in your brain and um and i can empathize with anybody who's struggling uh with things now and um so yeah it was it was surreal i, I just i still sometimes shake my head uh, um as to to how far I, uh, I sank, but, uh, I think sometimes you have to hit rock bottom in order to affect change in your life. And, and I think, uh, I've, I've, out of this, I've become a much more, um, calm individual, uh, you know, easier on myself. Uh, I, I, I don't have the, um, the, the strong, you know, perfectionism, um, component anymore. Um, uh, allow myself to be more gentle with, with myself. Uh, um, and um, as far as um, what I would tell someone is, uh, first of all, life, life is, is beautiful. Um, it, there's, there's a lot to, to experience. Um, and that, that, again, being, um, being a pilot is not, is not, who you are it's just what you what you do you know what you do for a living and it doesn't define you and uh, um i would to their friends and family and uh um i would encourage them to find a trusted friend family member and just just share what 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 they're going through um it's difficult um i i didn't i didn't do it 
Um, but uh, I wish I had. Um, so I would tell someone that's struggling that that they have to uh, to you know surrender to what's going on in, in their in their mind and body and and really you know just reach out to somebody and because uh, there's always going to be there's always a solution to to whatever um, you're going through that's um, and think and things don't I found out that things don't always um, your future trip about uh bad things you know how things are going to be and and a lot of times they don't pan out in as bad of a, a way that you you kind of thought they would so um so so just try to have try to have hope um you know reach out to people even somebody who's not struggling you know get yourself a a, a network of people that um that are really that you can trust and that are very close to you and that you can talk to about anything. Um, and so that's, I think that would help anybody. Mm -hmm. One of the most interesting parts about your story, John, is that you're a suicide survivor and we really don't get to speak with survivors often. Um, would you be able to share with our audience why it is a unique experience surviving suicide and sometimes a lonely road? Yeah, I uh, there it's it seems like there's um, there's a lot of help for uh, support you know, for people that have uh, are, are surviving members of someone who committed suicide, family members, uh, spouses. Uh, there there seems to be a lot of support there, but I, I've yet to find um, you know any support groups or people that have actually, in my case, you know, made an attempt and survived and. Um, um, and then, of course, you know, the, the question of uh, why I'm not uh, flying right now, uh, you know, uh, they ask, you know, because I'm I, when I went through all this, I was well before the mandatory retirement age. So, uh, you know, having to deal with that sometimes is, uh, you know, a touchy thing, you know, you, you, know, you don't know who. Uh, what what they're gonna think? Uh, there's still a lot of st stigma around um, uh, depression and, and and mental illness and suicide. So it's it's kind of a um, a difficult thing sometimes to uh, to uh, answer that question with people that I don't know very well. Um, um, but as I as I've shared my story with um, with friends, um, uh, even acquaintances. Um, and then here today um, with you, uh, who I've never met, uh, I, I found that, that uh, I've, I've never had anybody reject me. Um, everyone has been, that I've told my story to, has been empathetic. And, and, um, and I've actually found um, a lot of support uh, it's kind of cathartic to tell your story uh, to people, and and then I, I, surprisingly, I have found friends um, who have gone through similar things. Uh, but you know, when I've told my story, they they say, "Wow, you know, I I I I, I went through something similar," uh, or they they uh, may, maybe not as as serious as mine, but they, they've struggled. And I, I think that, you know, sh sharing your story, you're never gonna know who, 
who might hear your story that is out there, you know, struggling with something as well. And, and I think this, you know, it's, it's like a little um, support, you know, you develop support groups just by, by telling your, you know, sharing your, your experience um, with people. Uh, so, you know, people are more willing to share their, their stories with you uh, as well. So, um, so there shouldn't be, you know, uh, there shouldn't be a stigma around, around it. Uh, people should be able to talk about it. Yeah, yeah I definitely think that it is difficult for people to share a story that's so vulnerable like yours. So we're grateful that you were willing to share with us that story today, your story. Um, and I, I think it has a major impact. Like Emma said, we don't talk to suicide survivors often. And and just to be here today is like a blessing that you're even sitting here speaking with us in a totally different place in your life. Um, and you got past that one terrible summer um, and I really like that you also said a lot of times when you're you're struggling, um, you're thinking about worst case scenarios, and that those things don't always happen the way that you catastrophize them to be. Um, and I think that was really important because even you know me not with a depression diagnosis, I have a tendency to do those same things, like catastrophize things and think, oh, well, what if this happens or what if this happens? And oftentimes um, they turn out better than I expected them to. So that was a great point of advice for for our audience. And I'm just really grateful for you sharing and and opening up to us and allowing us to to see you and and know you better. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It's uh, if I can maybe just help even with one person that hears this um, that might be struggling, if it helps them to take a different path and that then it's all, all worth it. Um, I don't know how much luck we have with the FAA, but uh, you know, it's a start, you know, we can uh, just, you know, chip away at it a little bit at a time and, uh, and yeah. hopefully, hopefully they'll, uh, they'll affect some change. I think so. I think the more stories that we tell, the more people that will come forward to tell their stories. And what I know about stories is that they have a lot of energy and impact and they are what cause change. So I really thank you for, for being willing to share um, and and thank you for taking the time with us today. Um, but we're going to move on to some lighter, fun questions. We like to end our show with a little bit of fun. <laughs> so <laughs> these ones are mostly based around um, aviation. So first one for you, John, is what is your favorite legacy carrier? So the legacy carriers are Delta, United, American, Hawaiian, or Alaska. Um, well, I, I'll have, I have to go back to one that's not around anymore first, but it was Pan Am, I think, uh, in oh, the yeah. old days. Yeah, um, <laughs> just the route system. Uh, I always liked the white hats um, and just the whole aura around uh, around Pan Am. But as far as the ones that are that are around today, um, I, I, I'd have I'd have to say um, American and United uh, are probably equally there. Um, uh, they're they're the two. United is a hometown carrier from where I live, and um, American uh, has a big presence. Uh, you know, here as well. And, and, yeah. um, and so, yeah, those are the two I, that, uh, I, I would probably say. Mm -hmm. 
Those are good ones. I would say Pan Am if I ever flew on them, but I never got to experience that. Uh, yeah, I got to husband, fly on them once. Yeah, one time <laughs> I got to fly on them. <laughs> my husband is very obsessed with the golden age of travel. So he loves Pan Am. Um, I, I don't know if you've ever seen the the series, the Pan Am series. I don't remember if it's on Amazon Prime, I think it is, but it's really good. It only ran for one season. Yep, I, I remember it. I did, did see you it. watch it? it yes, I did. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's great. Um, so anyone out there, if you guys love Pan Am or Golden Age of Travel, definitely watch that series. Mm-hmm. Even though it's only one season, I thought they did like such a great job with it. Um, but Emma, what about you? What's your favorite legacy carrier if you have to choose one? I, I'd have to say American because of like <laughs> just biased. the, the, yeah, the family history with, um, yeah. us airways and Piedmont and all of that. So definitely choosing American. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm also biased. I have to choose Alaska cause I'm from the West coast. I worked for their sister company horizon. Uh-huh. Uh, and that's yeah. where I met my husband was at horizon airlines. So Alaska is my favorite legacy carrier. Yeah. Although I feel like Hawaiian, if they were here and had a bigger presence in the in the landlocked states, then I think Hawaiian would be up there for me. But I've only flown on them once, Enter Island. Uh-huh. Um, They're pretty nice, honestly. Yeah, I've flown on Alaska, and I I like them. They they do a, they've always done a good job when I've flown with them. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There, there's a lot of loyalty here on the West Coast for Alaska Airlines, uh, especially in the state of Alaska itself. Um, but they're all great. So Delta lost out on that one. No one picked up this. So losers. Um, okay. So second question for you, John, if you're going to have to sit in a row, where are you going to pick the window seat or the aisle seat? Oh, definitely window seat. Um, without question. Uh, um, I, I, it's like, I, the flying still fascinates me and, um, I, I just like to look out. I like to look out at the other airplanes, um, uh, when we're taxiing out and, uh, I've always been fascinated by the, by foreign tales. You know, if I see, you know, all these different airplanes from around the world, it, it, you know, just fascinates me that, you know, they took off in, they were thousands of miles away and, and here they are, you know, uh sitting there and um so i i like to look out even when we're, we're flying i hear people say there's nothing to see out there but <laughs> if you if you look out you know if you look out and you really put yourself you, know, you, you can try to transform yourself down on on the earth there and you pick out little details you know and um, um and i like to compare when i'm flying over what i with what i know about the map uh, i always studied maps when i was a kid I still like maps and so um you know I like geography and so seeing seeing things that I've seen on maps uh, in person um I like I like to uh, to see that uh, um so yeah always always a window seat and also either before um ahead or behind the wing so did you actually see the ground so <laughs> yes I love that. No, I'm a, I'm also a window seat girl and I am the person, like, if you don't want the window open, don't sit next to me. <laughs> I can, the light doesn't bother me. I'll literally sleep with 
the window open. Yeah. Um, but I have to, I am someone who is always looking out of the window. And especially if my husband's flying this last trip, he, it was cute because he did an announcement for me basically, but nobody knew it was for me. It was like our code language. He's like, if you look out over here to the left, we're flying over Minneapolis and we're flying over Lake Vermilion. Well, me and him had gone to Lake Vermilion two years ago. And he, so he was literally just saying that for me. I'm sure all the passengers were like, what, who is, what is Lake Vermilion? Like, why do we need to know about this? But um, I definitely love to look out, love to see anything on, even if it's just clouds, you can't even see the ground. I'm still love to look outside. So I'm right there with you on the loving the window seat. Um, yeah. Emma, are you a window seat girl? Or are you an aisle seat girl? Oh, I'm going to have to hit y'all with some realism really depends on the duration <laughs> of the flight. Um, because <laughs> I have to use the potty. Okay. So if we're going international, sorry, I'll lean over you. I'll look out a couple of times, preferably I'm sitting next to my mom. So I can just like, kind of, you know, I'm not intruding in anyone's space, but international give me the aisle because I'm, <laughs> I'm using the restroom. Okay. And I'm also going to the back to get myself a drink because I'm not waiting for them to come up and down the aisle. It's just too much. Um, <laughs> But if I'm going like a little, just like puddle jump, hour flight, two hour, three hour flight, definitely choosing the window seat. Uh-huh. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm uh, kind of the opposite. I can I can do aisle seats uh, or a middle seat on a, on a shorter domestic flight. But international, I like to have that window seat because um, yeah. I'm going someplace I might not have been before. or uh, And I like to see, I, one time I was, you know, uh, going into London and they were landing to the east which they don't know, you know, it's just most of the time they land to the West. And, and we, we came out of the clouds and I was looking out my window and, and we went right over Windsor Castle. And I was, I had my, my phone camera up and I was able to actually snap a picture going over Windsor Castle. Everyone else in the airplane had no clue. Yeah. <laughs> so. When we, um, I can't remember how many years ago it was, but we had a layover at London Heathrow. And when we were flying in, I got to see like, I don't even know what that big building is. It's like, it looks like an egg and there's a Ferris wheel. Um, and then the London bridge and all of that. I was like, Oh my gosh. Um, but yeah, I was younger then, but it's always interesting to see when I was in Ireland in October. And when we flew out, I had a window seat and we flew over essentially everything that we did the two weeks we were there. Um, which was also very interesting to see, but I did have a quite unique experience with the woman that I sat next to. She made me feel really bad about using the restroom. And I was like, <laughs> like this well, is that- why I should have had the aisle seat. Yeah. <sighs> well, that's, that's the, that's the thing though. You know, if you pick the aisle seat and I know a lot of people like that. I mean, uh, that's, uh, that's what you, um, I mean, yeah, if, if I do sit in the aisle seat, I expect that people are going to have to get up and you know, you just we all have to just get along in the airplane. And, um, yes. and if you're in the middle seat, you know, you get the armrests. <laughs> that also just reminded me of, I was getting on board the other day. I think I was coming home from New York and uh, this lady needed to get into the window seat, but the aisle seat and the middle seat passengers wouldn't get up. They just kind of pushed their legs to the side and I was like, I don't know how this lady is going to get in because it wasn't even an exit row. Um, but she 
I, my personal self would have been like, I'm not squeezing past you. You need to get up. But she literally, she was mm -hmm. like, okay, watch my butt. And she like shimmies by them. I was like, wow, I can't believe <laughs> these people did not get up and she didn't make them. <laughs> I've never uh, had to do that to me, but <laughs> I totally would have like, get up. <laughs> I'm not shimmying over you. I don't understand the, the, the thinking behind, you know, not, not just not getting up, get making up. it easy. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, uh, I think it had to be the age. These people were a little bit younger, so I guess they they didn't care. But uh -huh. uh, yeah, not me. I would not volunteer for that. Okay, but moving on to last question: What is your favorite bed beverage on board a flight? Um, it, it's either water or black coffee. Yeah. Um, I used to partake uh, when I was married, you know, I was able to ride in business and first class a lot uh, across the ocean or wherever. And, and they would just ply us with wine or beer. And, uh, and I partook in a lot of that stuff, but, you know, I hated, eventually I just hated getting off the airplane and feeling like crap um, and uh, not being able to sleep. So I, I, anymore, I, I rarely ever have a um an alcoholic drink on when i'm traveling it's it's usually just uh water or coffee mm -hmm. yeah. yeah yeah i feel you i uh typically will drink water on board um if i have not gotten a coffee before i get on the plane i'll get one on the plane but i'm trying not to just because I know that they don't clean the filters on the plane. <laughs> and so if I think about it too much, it really grosses me out. But if I get an alcoholic beverage, I typically will get a uh, Bloody Mary with gin. Uh-huh. Very uh -huh. different. But uh, I limit myself to two because like you said, at a certain point, you drink too much in the air, you're not feeling so great when you get on the yeah. ground. And, and it's dehydrating anyway to be up there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's just, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Emma, I how about you? Funny you said, <laughs> I think it's funny you said Bloody Mary because ever since I've been little, American has always had, I want to say it's by the brand, like, T I want to say it's TJ, TJ's or something like that. But they have a Bloody Mary mix. And obviously when I was little, like I wasn't mixing it with anything. I just really love the salt. It's like salty juice. Mm. <laughs> um but I have loved it ever since I was little and it's like a staple piece for me now like I'm not not going to get that now that I'm 23 um I'm able to drink <laughs> so I'll get you know a little shot of vodka with it now but honestly I could drink it by itself and I know that's so strange like a lot of people don't like um tomato juice I absolutely love tomato juice and if it's flavored even better mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah no oddly specific but that's what I like and it has to be that one brand and I've noticed recently I feel like they changed the formula because it's not as salty and it doesn't have like used to have a little bit of spice it doesn't have it anymore it's kind of plain hmm. yeah but just a little thing <laughs> Mm -hmm. yeah. all right yeah. well yep that's my answer so with that I guess we will wrap up the end of this week's episode john thank you so much for joining us and being vulnerable and telling your story i know it takes a lot of courage and i really admire and respect you for that thank you emma and maddie yeah thank you very much mm -hmm. yeah 
All right, y'all. Well, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. It helps us out very much. And as always, keep the blue side up and the brown side down. We'll speak to y'all next week. Thank you.